I'm Chris from Nerd Alert News, a proud member of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual host. Check out all the other great podcasts at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in three, two, one. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. This week's episode is going to be insane. We are going to be talking about Magic the Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons, and so much more. You know, you're going to want to be a winner in this week's episode and not be a loser. <laughs> That's right. Make sure you listen for the secret of the day in this week's episode. You may win a prize. So without further ado, let's get those ads out of the way there. Well, hey there, Zoe. Why the long face there, chum? I just want to order some magic cards, but the shipping was too expensive. Too expensive? Well, did you know if you go to LegitMTG.com, you can order any magic cards, and anything over $2 or more has free shipping. Wow, free shipping at LegitMTG.com. That's amazing. You heard that right, Zoe. Free shipping at LegitMTG.com with any order over $2 or more. Be sure to visit today and get the best deal on magic singles and magic sealed product available. So how's it going, folks? I hope everybody had a really good Ixlaxen, Ixalan, Ixalan, Isalan, Jurassic Isalan Park uh, pre-release. Unfortunately, I didn't get to attend pre-release. I was on call during the time. And while I could have attended pre-release and taken a laptop with me, if I had, you know, if I got any calls, it's, it's still very distracting in one of those Oh man, every email, every text, every phone call you get, you don't know if it's going to be, oh great, I got to go into work now. Um, Not very fun. So I decided against going and I swear it always seems to happen. I mean, first of all, problems here that every time there's a pre-release or game day or release weekend, I'm on, I'm on call and it's, it sucks. It's, very, it feels like it's very rare for me to ever attend a pre-release. Oh, shit. What was the last pre-release? I went to Hour of Devastation, Two-Headed Giant. I did do Aether Revolt pre-release, right? Yeah, I did. I think I had to miss Kaladesh. I did go to Eldritch Moon. So, yeah, it's I may get to go to two pre-releases a year out of the four that happen. And, like I said, it sucks, but oh, well. I've got two boxes, a bundle... And the two Planeswalker decks on the way, courtesy of LegitMTG.com. Uh, go there and shop if you haven't already done so. And I'm going to be live streaming the box openings and then put those live streams on my YouTube channel, uh, YouTube.com slash Zubatron, which I do put all the podcasts that I do up there as well, too. And I try to do magic videos, but, eh, you know, it's, it's time. I'd rather focus on the podcast and other stuff like D&D and, you know, doing more magic building of decks and cubes than really do videos. Um, I do like the live streaming stuff and I just got a new webcam to help help me aid with the live stream box openings. So be on the lookout for that. Just look at my follow my Twitter or Facebook, facebook.com slash magicazubi or at magicazubi. I will announce when I'm going to do it. Um, I need to figure out when I'm getting all the stuff, the boxes and all that stuff. So, like I said, be sure to look out for my Twitter. And I'm going to live stream it all. Uh, open it pack by pack. And you'll get to watch it. Watch me open up pretty much nothing good. So, there's that. So, if you had, you know, any good experiences at uh, pre-release Ixlaxen, I- Isaland, Ixalan. I don't know how to pronounce this fucking set. This is probably the one set that I can just cannot pronounce at all. I'm just going to keep messing it up. Ixalan. Uh, Oxalan. Ox, Oxlan. Oxlans. Um, yes, that's how we pronounce it now. Uh, anyways, but other good magic news is it's looking more and more likely and I'm going to be attending Grand Prix Atlanta this November. 
I am in the talks of, you know, getting it all situated and setting aside some money for it. I'm not going to be competing in the main event. No, not interested in standard at all. Now, if it was modern, yes, I would do it in a heartbeat. So instead, I'm probably going to be taking part of the infinite side challenges where you can do as many side events as you want and, you know, try to get tickets and probably win nothing because I will lose every single game that I play in the side events because I'm just not very good at magic. But anyways, I plan to take my legacy and modern decks there. Um, I don't think there's any side event commander challenges, so I may bring a commander deck or two, maybe just to play when I don't feel like doing a side event. And yeah, so I'm going to be rocking some legacy elves, some modern elves, or some modern Grixis Delver, which Grixis Delver is not good in the meta right now, but people may not think of it. Well, you know, I don't know. It's not very good. Anyways, so I definitely, if you follow me on social media, look out for that. You know, if you happen to be a fan of the show and listen and see me at Grand Prix Atlanta or whatever, you know, come by, stop by, say hello. I'll be surprised if at least one person comes by. I won't have any t-shirts. I should probably get a t-shirt made or something of Magic Wazoobie, but I'm almost kind of thinking of changing my logo soon. So I don't know if I want to spend the money for that. Um, I've had the logo for a long time now, long time, meaning almost two years now. I can't believe it's going to be two years come February, which is coming up really close because we're at the end of September right now. And it's insane. And before the two years or maybe right around the two years, we should reach episode 100 by then, which is going to be pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, very excited about that. It's I can't even believe, you know, I'm, I'm honestly surprised I kept up with this podcast as long as I did. It's Typically, I don't keep projects this long because I get bored, but you know, I enjoy doing it. It's, as I've said before in many other episodes, it's like a cathartic release for me to just get all this blah out of my, out of my system and just talk about shit that I love. And the podcast has definitely grown, you know, over the months, the many months it's been around, you know, and fuck, there's that, you know, again, I'm trying to not say it there. Um, uh, like, you know, okay, stop it. But anyways, it's, it's definitely growing. You fucking cat. I swear. All right. So we got a new cat here and she likes to constantly jump up on me while I'm on the computer, especially trying to do something important. Or she just likes to, you know, crawl around on me and just be like, daddy, look at me. Look at me. I'm important right now. I'm just a brand new kitty. No, you're not going to be interrupting my recording. Anyways, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, uh, fuck. Got to stop saying that damn word. You'd think I would edit this crap out, but mm, nah, I'm good. But so what about some magic stuff to talk about? I wanted to talk a bit about my cube. Um... I know I have mentioned a lot of the 180 cards that I'm adding to the cube, but I wanted to talk about some of the archetypes in the cube, some of the tribes, some of the stuff that you could build. I should put a link to my cube again in the show notes now that it's been updated to the up to 540 cards. And I think I'm going to keep it at 540 for now. And then when new cards come out or I find other cards in the history of magic that may fit better in the cube, I'll replace them. I don't think I want to go over 540, but I'm already trying to not, not actively, but slowly think of another cube. I want to do if it, if I'm going to do another cube, I might do popper, but I don't know how big I would make it. I'd probably make it 360 cards and not 540, but we shall see. Um, like I said, it's not even, I'm actively thinking of what cards to put in except Delver of Secrets. That's about the only card I can think of and Lightning Bolt. Oh shit. There's two cards. I'm not going to start naming more. It's just going to spiral from there. And then this whole episode is going to be about my popper cube that doesn't exist yet. So we're going to be talking about my family tribal cube, which I have named it. Um, so a lot of the tribes that I have put in, and I'm sure I've mentioned this before in other episodes, 
but the main tribes in the deck for each color has two tribes that are the primary tribes in the deck. Now there are other cards that are other tribes, but they're more support. They're, they're not very dominant if that makes sense. So let's start with white. White has humans and angels. Humans are for more of your low to the ground, you know, aggressive type decks. And because most human cards don't cost a lot, you know, you'd be able to build sufficient aggro human decks. And there are humans that reside in other colors as well, too. But white is the primary color for humans. Uh, angels being primarily a white card only. Um, there are some red angels, but that's very few and far between. But white is the primary color for angels. And we've got cards such as Archangel Avacyn, Angelic Overseer. We've got just plain old Archangel, Bruna the Fading Light, and Gisela of the Broken Blade, or Gisela. And we all know what Gisela and Bruna turn into. They turns into Brisella, Voice of Nightmares. Yay, melding. Melding is, of course, really, really, really powerful. Even more so in the limited format. So those are the two main tribes in white. Let's move on to blue here. Blue has wizards and sphinxes. Uh, wizards being primarily, um, you know, when you think of a wizard, you think of, oh, hey, someone smart who can cast a lot of spells. Well, my wizards like to draw a lot of cards. I've got a zombie lady of scrolls and then a whole crap ton of other wizards. And I've got all three Delver cards. Uh, Delver of Secrets. Aberrant Researcher, and then Docent of Perfection. The evolution of Delver of Secrets, which I'm so glad they did that. It's so cool. Um, love the whole flavor text of it. Of course, Delver of Secrets being the best one um, in the early game, of course. And then we got Sphinxes. Uh, Sphinxes topping out the top end here. And while Blue by itself is not a very powerful color in this cube. It is a very, very good support color. There are a lot of good support cards, which I'm not going to go over them all. It's when you look at the list, you'll see what I mean. So when it comes to black, black is primarily zombies and vampires. Um, you know, both of them topping up both low end to the top end for zombies and vampires. And it's, that that color just can be really nasty, especially with uh, black being a reanimator color where I just have a bunch of cards like where it's, oh, hey, you know, something dies. OK, it's coming back. OK, it's coming back. OK, it's coming back. And I know I've talked about in the episode before when I built that Grixis reanimator type deck where just I made it in a way where, you know, like, oh, you can kill my stuff. but I'm just going to get it all back. And it was just awesome. And Torrential Gearhawk is such a beast in Limited. And um, when it comes to Red, Red it was primarily goblins and werewolves. And werewolves sharing green. There are some green werewolves. There's not a lot, but there are there. But I think there's more goblins than there are werewolves in that color. But I tried to put as many werewolves as I could in there. And there are some dragons too. Not too many, though. Dragon's more of a supporting tribe than anything, or tribal member thing. Something like that. Uh, then for green, we've got elves and beasts. Elves are, of course, you know, low to the ground, can be aggro, or could just get you a lot of mana. Since I've got Elvish Mystic in there, and Lanawar Elves. And I think I have, oh yeah, Arbor Elf, too. Uh, green has more creatures than any of them. And also I've put in a lot more ramp spells as well too, to make things more fun for green. If you're, especially when you're playing against green and just keep getting more and more land very early on. Yay. Uh, the one thing I did add, which I know I mentioned before to the 180 cards were multicolor cards. I added four of each dual color of the guilds, you know, Azorius, Demir, Rakdos, etc., etc., and um, I know I did add some more artifacts. For the artifacts, I added more equipment than anything, and some more mana rocks as well too. Uh, not too many mana rocks, but just a few more. 
Um, yeah, that looks like that's about it. I'm just going over it again. Okay. So what are some deck archetypes that can be made in this cube? Uh, let's first go over counters. I love counters and the type of counters that I put in to help support counters. Uh, the spells for that would be hardened scales where it's one green enchantment. If one or more one, one counters would be placed on a creature you control that many plus one, one, one counters are placed on it instead. And also supporting that is winding constrictor, the black and a green snake creature where if one or more counters would be placed on an artifact or creature you control, that many of those counters plus one are placed on that permanent instead. If you would get one or more counters, you get that many of those counters plus one instead. Um, were there any other actual counters? I'm looking right now because I can't remember. Um, oh, here we go. Uh, Primeval Bounty was another one that supports counters. Uh, one of the three modes of it is whenever you cast an on-creature spell, put three 1-1 one, one counters on target creature you control. And were there any in white? I'm trying to look here. <laughs> I don't see one. But, um, oh, I did get um, Inspiring Roar which is three and a white sorcery, put a one, one counter on each creature you control. And some of the creature cards to help support that, the one, one counters, or just to, you know, help you definitely be a part of it or not just be a part of it, but actually help build it is Thalia's Lieutenant, which is one in a white. When Thalia's Lieutenant enters the battlefield, put a one, one counter on each other human you control. Whenever another human enters the battlefield under your control, put a one, one counter on Thalia's Lieutenant. So that's definitely really good. Where is the other one? Uh, High Sentinels of a Ration. High Sentinels of a Ration gets plus one, plus one for each other creature you control with a one, one counter on it. And you can also spend three and a white to put a one, one counter on a target creature. It's a three, four bird soldier toker, to toker, token, to token in white. That's because I know how to speak. And of course, two of my favorite counter creatures besides hangerback or and they're okay i spoiled it hangerback walker and walking ballista are both in the cube as well too which with hangerback walker you can pay one to put a one one counter on it and when a hangerback walker dies it creates that many one one thopter artifact creature tokens with flying on the battlefield for each one one counter on hangerback walker and walking ballista is you can pay for to put a one one counter on walking ballista and then you can remove a 1-1 one, one counter from Walking Ballista and it deals 1 damage to target creature or player. So you can use that to bang and kill someone or you can sack your Hangerback Walker whenever and depending on how many counters you have, it'll create that many 1-1 one, one Thopter tokens. So that is definitely our archetype that is supported. It's mainly in green and white. Uh, there really aren't any other colors that support counters. Um really really fun i haven't actually built that kind of deck yet but um definitely one well, because i just haven't had the cards to do so but it's there and you want to do it uh another deck archetype is reanimator uh especially that's mainly in black um you know with the help of blue where I have cards that are able to get you back instants and sorceries such as torrential gear hulk or um call to mind where is it yeah call to mind and a rachiomancer a rachiomancer and some other cards as well too that will help you get cards back from your graveyard that can really help support black if you happen to get a lot of reanimator cards i've got i put an exhume which is one in a black each player chooses a creature card and has or her graveyard and puts that creature into play it could be a really good if you've got a really powerful creature and you somehow discarded it in the beginning you know maybe you had maybe in your hand you had exhume cathartic reunion you know two lands um or two or three lands and then you discarded i don't know um metalwork colossus or reaver demon or i don't know 
the Pearl Lake Ancient or, you know, Bruno the Fading Light, and you manage to get one of those out turn two, turn three, holy crap. Really fucking cool. Um, where are my other... Okay, uh, here's another reanimator card. It's really, really, really cheeky, and of course, it'd be really hard to cast it. You know, if you're maybe if you're doing green black, uh, Rise of the Dark Realm, seven mana, two black. Put all creature cards from all graveyards under the battlefield under your control. <laughs> really fucking cool. If you manage, if if you cast that in limited, you've basically won. Unless there's a board wipe. Uh, where are the other ones? I know I've got others. Um, you know, unmake the graves. Uh, no, not treacherous urge. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? I know I've got others, don't I? I guess I didn't have as many as I thought. Well, I've got ways and well, you know, I've got ways to also bring back your creatures too. So there you go. There's that reanimator is a possibility. And of course, I already talked about it before ramp. I mean, ramp being primarily green, you'd want green and then maybe another support uh, color. And that with the ramp I have, where is it? Where is it? Oh, I guess I don't have any instant ramp. Um, I guess it's all sorcery. So I've got explore, which you may play an additional land this turn, draw a card, cultivate, you know, search your library for up to two basic land cards, reveal them, put one on the battlefield tap, the other in your hand. Uh, this is pilgrimage, which basically does the same thing, except it's only forest explosive vegetation, which puts two lands on the battlefield tap. You've got, and that's about it, but that's plenty of ramp cards though. And if you manage to draft them, I mean, even if you only drafted two, two of them, you know, you're still way ahead. I do. Oh, I do have sword in the animist, which whenever equipped creature attacks, you may search your library or yeah, your library for a basic land card. When I feel tap, put it on the battlefield tap, then shuffle your library. So ramp is another supported one supporter archetype here, but the last archetype, archetype I want to talk about I mean besides there is aggro control and mid-range and well, those are really easy to talk about aggro you just pick a bunch of low costing creatures and pump them up and kill uh, control a bunch of counter spells and or kill spells and play the slow game I mean yeah that's always possible mid-range is mid-range you know I, I didn't really want to talk about those because they are in there but the last one I did want to talk about was combo um, I'm sure I'm missing some combos in here. I, right now I have three infinite type combos in the cube. Uh, two of them need four or more cards. So it's not always going to be guaranteed, but two of them or one of them only requires two cards. And like I said, it's always, it's not guaranteed that you're always going to get these in a 540 card cube. You may not even ever see them. So I know a lot of people have said, oh, why would you put infinite combos in cube? You know, what? I don't care. It's my cube and I like to have fun. If I go up against someone and they manage to draft one of these combos that I put in here. Awesome. Cool. So the one first infinite combo I have is midnight guard, which I'll, I'll read each card midnight guard, which is two and a white human soldier to two, three. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield, untap Midnight Guard. Okay, doesn't sound too bad, right? Uh, the next card for that combo is Helix Retraction. He or Retraction Helix, I mean, which is one blue instant until end of turn. Target creature gains tap, return target non-land permanent to in its owner's hand. The next card in the combo is altar of the brood which is a one costing artifact whenever another permanent enters the battlefield under your control each opponent puts the top card of his or her library with his or her graveyard the next card of the combo requires a zero casting cost card which i have two of them uh ornithopter and memnite now you're probably asking well why did you put ornithopter and memnite in there if not just for this combo no i also have insole artifact in blue in the cube so you know, you could do a turn two, um, five, five ornithopter in the air and probably win the game or come very close to it. 
So if you're confused how this combo works and I will explain it, I don't care if um, people already know it, but for those who don't, you have, you cast, you have midnight guard out on the field first, and then you cast retraction helix on it on targeting midnight guard, giving it the tap ability, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand while also having alter the brood out as well too. So you have midnight guard tap targeting memnite or ornithopter to go back to your hand. So since those costs, since both of those cards cast costs zero to cast, I can talk. You put it on the field, midnight guard untaps, alter the brood triggers off. Your opponent puts the top card of his or her library into his or her graveyard and then you tap Midnight Guard again, targeting Memnite or Ornithopter, bring it back to your hand, cast Memnite or Ornithopter again, and rinse and repeat until your opponent has decked themselves out where they don't have a library. And then you just pass the turn, and since they can't draw, you win automatically. Um, very easy combo to disrupt. I mean, once you see Midnight Guard go out, I mean, if there's Midnight Guard and Alter the Brood out on the field at the same time... Um, Probably a good idea to kill one of the two. Most likely Midnight Guard. Kill that instantly. And there's plenty of kill spells in the queue. So it, it is a four card combo, which like I said, you there's a small chance you'd even ever draft it, but it is there. And I like putting stuff like that in my queue because I'm going to be mainly the person who plays it. Uh, the next combo, uh, let's just get the two card combo out of the way and, um, cause it'll just be super simple. It's basically splinter twin, but it's deceiver XR and Kiki Jiki. Uh, deceiver XR is a, it's a cleric creature, uh, two, two colorless and a blue with flash. Whenever, when Deceiver XR enters the battlefield, choose one. Untap target permanent you control or tap target permanent uh, an opponent controls. And then you play, you have that on the field first. And then you play Kiki Jiki, which Kiki Jiki reads, it's two colorless and three red, a goblin shaman or shaman. Has haste, you tap it, put a creature token into play. That's a copy of target non-legendary creature you control. That creature token has haste. Sacrifice it at end of turn. So really simple two-card combo. You have you have Deceiver XR out first, and then you play Kiki Jiki. And there's ways to cheat in Kiki Jiki as well, too. It's just very simple two-card combo. You tap Kiki Jiki, targeting Deceiver XR, creating a token of Deceiver XR, which when that when it re Basically, the token reads when it enters the battlefield, you can untap Kiki Jiki and just create infinite tokens. And then since they all have haste, you kill your opponent with the infinite tokens. So that's a pretty simple one. Another one is probably one of my favorite ones. And you could do this by turn two. It's a turn two win, possibly. Um, if I remember correctly... You only need two of the cards in hand. Of course, you're going to need two lands because it because the card costs two mana. Um, so basically the combo you need, you need the card flash, which flash reads one colorless and a blue. It's an instant. Put a creature card from your hand into play. You may pay its mana cost reduced by up to two if you don't sacrifice it. So what card would you want to flash in? Probably so many people are rolling their eyes and like, oh my god, I can't believe you're doing this combo. Holy crap. Uh, it's Protean Hulk. Protean Hulk reads, it's a five colorless, two green creature beast. When Protean Hulk is put into a graveyard from play, search your library for any number of creature cards with total converted mana cost six or less and put them into play then shuffle your library. So what you would do is you would cast flash and put protein Hulk into play. Okay. So then the second half of flash reads, okay, do you want to pay its mana cost? Nope. All right. So protein Hulk's going to go into your graveyard, which triggers off protein Hulk's ability there where it reads when protein Hulk is put into a graveyard from play, search your library for any number of creature cards with total converted mana cost six or less and put them into play. Then shuffle your library. I already said that. I know. 
So what cards would you want to target? The first card you are going to target is, where is it? And this requires you, of course, to draft them. You'd want to target Karmic Guide. Karmic Guide reads, it's a three colorless double white. Flying protection from black has echo. When Karmic Guide comes into play, choose target creature card in your graveyard and put that creature into play. So you would choose Karmic Guide. And what's the other card you'd want to put into play? Carrion Feeder. You'd put Carrion Feeder, which is a one black creature zombie. Carrion Feeder can't block. Sacrifice a creature. Put a one one counter on Carrion Feeder. So what do you do when those two are out? Um, you would get Karmic Guide and Carrion Feeder out. And then you would bring, you would have Karmic Guide target Protein Hulk back from your graveyard. And it would come back out onto the field. So what would you do next? Now that you have Protean Hulk back on on the field, you would sack Protean Hulk with Carrion Feeder's ability, and now you get out Kiki-Jiki. You would get Kiki-Jiki out, and basically when Kiki-Jiki comes out, you would then target Karmic Guide, making a token of Karmic Guide. When it comes into play, choose target creature guardian graver and put that creature into play. You can target Protean Hulk again, and bring that back out and then you can rinse and repeat you know you can get more creatures out you can sack it to carrying feeder or what you could do is well no yeah if you know okay i i missed another card you could just keep bringing protean hulk back in order to sack carrying feeder give it infinite counters or you could also get something similar to, um, yeah, yeah, that's right. You could get Seaver Exart out if you manage to draft it. Or I put in Teardrop Kami. Teardrop Kami is a blue creature spirit. You sack Teardrop Kami, tap or untap target creature, which you could use that to untap Kiki Jiki. So hold on. I think I'm messing up here. Um, Oh, wait, no, because you could just, um, hold on, hold on. Okay, I messed up here. You probably saw where I went wrong. You could tap Kiki Jiki. The, uh, yeah, you would tap Kiki Jiki, targeting Karmic Guide. And then before Karmic Guide's trigger resolves, you can sack Kiki Jiki to Carrion Feeder and then have Karmic Guide bring back Kiki Jiki into play, tap it again, targeting Karmic Guide again, and shit, yeah, you could just make infinite karmic guides at that point and then just keep sacking carrying feeder or you can just give carrying feeder more one-one counters. And I mean, it's not going to have haste though. That's going to be the only thing. So yeah, this could make infinite karmic guides as well too. Um, with two twos in the air, protection from black. Yeah, you're most likely going to win. So, I mean, with this whole protean hulk, carrying feeder, karmic guide combo, there's a few other things you could do as well, depending on what cards you draft. But So that combo is probably going to be the hardest one to pull off because just the amount of cards it requires. But it's my cube and I enjoy it. Uh, Part of that combo, I also did put in Body Snatcher. So you could have the Body Snatcher part of the combo with that as well. Body Snatcher reads, two colorless, two black. It's a minion creature. When Body Snatcher comes into play, you may choose and discard a creature card from your hand if you don't remove Body Snatcher from the game. So, obviously, you'd almost want to... You know, you could... You could flash in Protean Hulk... You know, sack the Protean Hulk, get Body Snatcher out, and uh, Carrion Feeder. And you could choose to remove Karmic Guide from the game. when body, And then you could sack Body Snatcher, get Karmic Guide back in, because the second half of Body Snatcher reads, when Body Snatcher is put into a graveyard from play, remove Body Snatcher from the game and return target creature card from your graveyard to play, returning Karmic Guide to play. And then you bring back Protean Hulk, or, or, or I, either of any of them, it's, 
it, it really depends. Um, let's say body snatcher enables like a whole part of the other combo, which sort of complicates thing, but it is possible. It's just another piece of the combo. And, you know, I got to say, this is what I love about magic, where it just comes up with stupid combos and not stupid, but just crazy ass interactions like this. It, it just boggles my mind sometimes. And that's one of the reasons why I love magic and all the crazy things you can do to it and do in it as well. So that is the cube in a nutshell. I cannot wait to play with all these new cards added. I, I've still only played with the 360 and I'm just so excited. I, I just can't wait. That, that's Let's just put it there. I just cannot wait to play the cube again with these new cards. It's going to be fun. And I hope at least either myself or someone just pulls off an infinite combo at one point because it will just be really, really sweet. So, you know, I want to hear your thoughts of what you think about the cube or maybe about your own cube as well, too. Uh, you can email me at mtgzuby at gmail.com or, you know, hit me up on Facebook or Twitter at Magic with Zuby or Facebook.com slash Magic with Zuby. Love to hear your thoughts on it. Hey, guys. So trying to actually get some more D&D content in here going. So this is my attempt at it. Um, I know lately I've been talking just mainly nothing but magic, uh, especially last week's episode and barely had magic. It was more about the hurricane, but I want to try to rectify that. I want to talk more about D&D. Not that magic, of course, is going anywhere. I promise you that. But um, there is, you know, I got to fucking stop saying, you know, you know. I noticed that I was listening to last week's episode, uh, episode 83, and I said, you know, way too much, you know, and it's it's frustrating because a lot of this you don't really even notice you're doing. I've tried really, really hard to not say like so much, and I'm trying really hard not to do the uhs and ums, but there's still it's still there. And the you knows, I'm trying really hard not to say it so much. So, anyways, um, some D&D content. Um, this is more about a campaign that I'm coming up with. And I just want to talk about it because I'm going crazy. I, I have so many ideas for this campaign, uh, this story, this world that I'm creating. It's not really so much a world. It's more of a province or a region. Uh, the, the setting is would be more gothic slash medieval. I guess if you had to pick a time period where I'd want it to be based off of, it would be more, I guess, Victorian era would be the correct one I'm thinking of Victorian era where people, you know, there's definitely nobles, there's still lords and regents and kings and queens and all that sort of good stuff. But, but you know, that that's not the important part of the campaign here. The, not the, the lords and regents and all that. It's just sort of the era that I want to think of maybe even before, because I'm just Googling Victorian era and they say like 1837 to 1901. And I, I'm thinking maybe even before that, maybe during the Renaissance, let's see, Renaissance era. Cause I'm just trying to get a good idea. So I don't know, J just somewhere between his building architecture of 1600s, 1700s, um, set in a really big city. And that city is the size of, let's just say New York for size purposes. Um, it may get bigger or smaller. I haven't really exactly thought out how big the city I've been more focused on, the actual story and structure and characters, and I'm still trying to figure out how that's all going to go. So, so anyways, um, enough of me rambling on about that. So, what is this game? The game that I am plotting up is going to be a mafioso mafia type crime family game, and a and it, I guess it could be expired, expired, inspired 
by all the mafia movies I have seen over and over and over again, like Godfather, Goodfellas, Casino, um, the Narco Show, Sopranos, um, you know, you mafia movie, you you name it, I've most likely seen it. Um, I'm always been fascinated by that type of world and. You know, I may have had some encounters with them before, and you know, eh, forget about it. No, not really. Um, so the idea of the campaign is your character, the players, would have to choose one of four crime families at the at the beginning, like session zero, before you even play. All the players would have to agree what crime family they want to join. Um. And the main good or export of these crime families, just for now, most likely it'll probably just stick with this because I don't want it to get too, I guess, rated R, too X-rated, even though, I mean, I, I know it, it's a game D&D, there's killing and murder and all this stuff, but I don't want it to get too crazy into the drug lore. So for right now, it's the main export that the crime these crime families are running is alcohol the city um i've called the city ravenhold just for now and until i think of maybe a better name where i might may keep that name ravenhold and the main export of good is alcohol and the four crime families are vying for control over this city of you know getting alcohol out to you know nobles rich people to bars to um, you know, taverns, uh, but alcohol is completely banned in this province, this region. And it was been decreed by, you know, the king and the church. The church has made it so the church is really pushed for no alcohol because, you know, the church sees anybody drinking alcohol as sinners and they're going to be punished by God. And I don't really have a pantheon or maybe I'll just have a single deity in in this world but I, I don't know yet i've been focusing more on the crime families and sort of like what the beginning of the campaign is going to be like and i've also been trying to think of the structure of these crime families as well because i want to i want to get a little bit deep into how these crime families operate their business and how they're operating and i've sort of got an idea of how the four families are um and these are just placeholder names, but I may keep them because I like it. Uh, each crime family produces a different type of alcohol. And that different type of alcohol is in the name of that crime family. The first one called the Grog Gunners. The notorious Grog Gunners control all means of grog production. Run by Torbar Gunderson of the Gunderson Orc Clan. He runs a mean outfit filled with orcs, goblins, and bugbears. Known to have a short fuse, Torbarg is not one to get angry. And for this family, I've been thinking, you know, because orcs and goblins, especially bugbears, they're known to be more rough and tumble type people. They're not, you know, very high society, high class. And um, they're not ones to do things properly. And the closest sort of crime structure or, or mafia type structure I could think of for the Grog Gunners would be like the cartels. Um, now, you know, like Colombian cartels or Mexican cartels, because those are those cartels, at least from an outsider's perspective, they always seem a bit wild and crazy, you know, rough and tumble that, you know, they are the ones that are not afraid to get super down and dirty and do crazy stuff. So, um, that's the Grog Gunners. I just have the name of the Godfather in it, Torbar Gunderson. Uh, I'm still, like I said, a lot of what I'm doing right now is more research into anything when I have time, because that's the biggest thing is when I have time. Uh, the next crime family, these people control all the rum production. They are called the Rum Robbers. The Rum Robbers control all means of rum production, run by Garrett Twinkleton of the famous Twinkleton clan among the halflings. Garrett is a jolly fellow, but won't think twice to cut your throat should you cross him. And... The type of mob 
structure or family that I try to think that would probably be closest to how halflings would run things would be sort of like the Irish mob, you know, because the Irish mob, you know, they love drinking and partying and, you know, but if you say something wrong about their mother, you know, they'll cut your throat. I, my brother, I, me lad. I don't know why I'm saying like a pirate now, but, um, so it's, I just picture Garrett Twinkleton to be this, you know, jolly round little fat hobbit. I mean, halfling, whoops, can't say Hobbit. And, you know, he's sitting at a bar, you know, around his other fellow minions, you know, drinking, having a good time. And it's it's almost sort of like that scene in God Godfather, uh, Goodfellas, where, you know, the whole, uh, you know, you're funny like a clown, you know, Joe Pesci and uh, Ray Liotta. And just all of a sudden, but in this instance, Garrett you know, thinks, you know, someone says something and Garrett doesn't understand or gets mad about it and just cuts his throat and just be like, yeah, hey, get him out of here, you know, and just sort of that, that sort of thing. It's probably, I, I figure, you know, you know, he, rum robbers might be the funniest one out of the four, at least in my mind here. Um, next on the list is wine because all nobles and especially rich people, they must have the wine to be poured and tasted here. Um, they're called the wine wreckers. As you can sort of see, I'm trying to come up with funny or punny names here. I mean, they're pretty all terrible, but the wine wreckers control all means of wine production run by Tyroshi Moonhaven, a high elf. Tyroshi has always been fond of the finer things of life, but will stop at nothing to get what he wants. And when it comes to elves, especially like high elves, I, I oh, the way their society is always betrayed to me, at least in a lot of fantasy novels that I've read and Dragonlance, Forgotten Realms, you know, Lord of the Rings, um, the oh, fuck, I always forget this fucking thing. I only read one of them, uh, the sword of Shanana, Shinara or whatever, um, is the elves always sort of come off as more oriental than anything you know their their society is is always based on like honor and discipline and you know they master what they do in life and so i was trying to figure you know if i was a high elf you know i would try probably try and run my crime family similar to the yakuza or triads and the character tyroshi I'm trying to think would basically grew up as a spoiled child who was never taught right or wrong and would in throws fits, but always tries to act proper in front of people and, you know, and primarily serves all the rich people in the town of, or not town, but city of Ravenhold. Um, last on our list and certainly not least are the Mead Muggers. Probably my favorite name on here. The Mead Muggers. Uh, that The Mead Muggers control all means of mead production. The head of the Mead Muggers is none other, none other than Galinda Posh, a dwarven woman who grew up in a very posh life. She started this crime family to do something new, and after 150 years of living, she has never felt more alive than she does now. Um, this one, I'm still up in the air of whether I want to make it a dwarf or not, because the sort of type of crime family I'm thinking of that would relate to this would be the Sicilian Mafia, uh, you know, akin to the Godfather or Goodfellas or Sopranos. Um, and dwarves, to me, don't exactly scream Italian and how they run things, but they could, you know, I, in, you know, this is fantasy. I can make it relate to however I want. And I figured a dwarven woman, um, it's, it's always interested me, especially in TV and shows when there's a woman in charge of a crime family and how she does things, you know, sometimes it's almost a bit meaner or crueler than even when men run it as well. And, you know, the way I picture Glinda posh is she grew up in a very rich life and, you know, never did anything bad. And then all of a sudden one day she's, you know, just wanted to start a crime family, 
you know, I'm sure there was an event that happened in her life that just made her think, you know, I'm going to go on a life of crime. I'm tired of being good and all that stuff. And so she started the mead muggers. So that that's the sort of background of one of four families I'd want the characters to choose for that. And that would determine how it wouldn't really determine exactly how the campaign will play differently. Certain events would have to change in the campaign and I am nowhere near like done writing up what's going to happen in the campaign. I only have like maybe the first encounter done and that's it. And um I just want to talk about what I at least have written down for the campaign first. Um the players would start off on a wagon carrying their choice of alcohol. I mean, I know very cliché and start off on a wagon. And the players would have to decide which family they want to work for and you know one of four and i'm trying to figure out still you know which families are allied together which ones there's fighting together and stuff like that are they all fighting against each other do they all hate each other or there's some that may have secret packs um still figuring all that out um so they're on their way to the city of ravenhold and are on the dusky trail leading to Ravenhold. It's sort of a gothic looking setting, I'm thinking, or maybe Victorian. It's I still haven't really decided yet. On the way, they are stopped by guards of Ravenhold. And from here, you sort of let the players decide how they should proceed. Talk their way out of it or fight the guards. Turns out those guards were bought and paid for by the opposing family. We'll decide who opposes them later. It, it all depends on, like I said, whatever family... The um, players choose those guards are going to be the opposite, um, you know, bought off by the opposite family of whoever opposes that family. Or it could be, you know, if I decide to make, you know, all four families oppose all each other, then, you know, those guards are always going to be, you know, random, a random family. That's not the family that they chose. Um, and. So one of the things is without really spoiling much, like I said, this is just the first encounter. It's they have to talk their way out of it or fight the guards. And usually what will happen is if they talk their way out of it, you know, the guards are going to send a raven on ahead to warn, you know, whoever, whatever family that, you know, hey, the, the players here are, you know, sneaking in alcohol. Maybe we should try and stop them. Or if they killed them, they need to find, you know, they need to hide the bodies. They need to do something with it because they can't just leave them laying there. Um, and if the bodies are somehow discovered and found, then the players are going to have a bounty on their head somehow. So, um, like I said, a lot of what I've been doing for this campaign first is just researching how crime families own and operate. Like one of the things that I'm trying to figure out what is, all right, so I am a crime family. I'm the head of a crime family and I am getting alcohol into the city. So how do I do that? My thought process so far has been at least what I've written down is they own a farm or that they own a farm or however the alcohol is made. Let's just say a farm, for instance, like wine, wine made out of, you know, vineyards. Um, so they own a farm and let's just say either the province is far out of reach to where they, there's no, you know, there's, there's no penalty for making alcohol or anything like that. Or if it's in the province where alcohol is banned, they would have to pay off the local authorities to just say, hey, look the other way here. So then what about means of transportation? There's by road or by boat, because I'm sort of picturing Ravenhold a port city as well, too. It's so big that it also has a port as well. So it's very similar to New York. And so if it goes by boat, then they'd have to pay off, you know, shipping authorities, you know, on both sides, one from leaving the port that it is going to Ravenhold and then when it hits Ravenhold they got to pay off authorities there. And what about there? What about means of distribution? Do the families take care of that or do they pay third parties to do distribution? Sort of similar to what cartels do for distributing. Um it's it's all still very up in the air how it all works, but I want to get this down. So that has been my main thing I've been working on 
for right now in this campaign is how 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 did crime families back then, especially in the prohibition era, how did they di- distribute their alcohol? Uh, some of the things I've been reading is, you know, obviously by boat, um, you know, paying off people. How did they distribute alcohol? I found a whole article about it the other day. I don't know where it is. I'd probably have to look it up in my history. But one of the cool things that I was reading about, especially like how they transported it on boats, you know, oh, fuck, there's that, you know, again, um, you know, hiding it in weird places, hiding it in barrels and shipping crates and all that. Uh, I'll have to look it up and probably talk about it again. But it, it was really, really interesting. And that's sort of the things that, are going to be happening in this campaign as well too. I'm super excited to keep developing for it. Um, I'm more excited about this than the other game I'm DMing for with Alec and my wife, uh, because that world is more of a generic fantasy world. And not that I'm not enjoying it at all. It's been really, really fun. It's just, this is sort of something different. It's not, you know, every like, Oh, Hey, there's a big baddie trying to destroy the world. We need to stop it. No, this is more of a, it takes place in a very small setting within a city and you need to try and play through this crime family and, you know, keep doing these jobs and maybe move your way up in the ranks of the crime family. I I don't know. I haven't really decided what the end goal for this game is. is, And I'm thinking it's probably going to be more of a sandbox type style game more than anything. Uh, Probably, a little bit of railroading in the beginning, you know, maybe do a few jobs to get your rank up in the crime family and then, you know, go on from there. Um, you know, I'd love to hear what you guys think. It's like I said, it's not exactly D D and D I'm going to be using the D and D system for it, but I've been, I've been just plotting ideas for this, just writing down the little ideas. I'll think of something Just open up my phone, go on my Google drive and just be like, tippity tap and just write something down so like i said if you guys like what you hear um send me an email or tweet me or get me on facebook and let me know what you think all right thanks guys so just finished the first two episodes of star trek discovery uh the latest star trek show and i gotta say i really really dug it it was really really good um very cool it's super cool it's so good um I really like the, you know, callbacks to a lot of the old sound effects and um, how there was even a Sun Tzu quote in there, which, you know, there was I was just watching an episode of The Next Generation and there were some Sun Tzu quotes in there, too, which I know, you know, little callback and all that stuff. But uh, so far have been really enjoying the show. They only air the first two episodes and um, I don't even want to give any spoilers about what the show is even about. I mean, basically just Star Trek stuff. I mean, Klingons are involved. I mean, that's apparent from the very beginning of the show, like the first five minutes. And um, I got to say, I just liked it overall. Um, Of course, it looks very, very J.J. Abrams universe, but it does take place in the regular timeline of Star Trek. Um, You know, the same as all the other shows, the original series and next gen and all that. It takes place 10 years before the original series. Uh, There is I was surprised to see and and just to preference this all together. I pretty much went into this blindly. I knew nothing about any of the characters. I didn't even know any names of characters. I didn't know who was going to be in the show or anything like that. All I knew was that the main chick, um, I forget her name forget the actress actress's name she's the one uh chick from the walking dead uh who you know met an untimely demise and i thought she did a really good job in this role so far really liking her and um and then they had some the lieutenant commander the chief science officer fuck i forgot his name already but weird looking guy i don't know what alien race he is and then they introduced the captain of the ship who the captain is not the main focal point. It's, um, the, the fuck the, the lady from walking dead and her name on the show is Michael Burnham, which, you know, interesting name. And, um, 
like I said, I didn't read up anything about the show, didn't know anything about it, what it was really even going to be, except that it took 10 years before the original series and Sarek is in it. Now, not the original Sarek, mind you, but um, Sarek, you know, Spock's father is in the show and I felt that was pretty cool. And I really, really thought they were going to ham fist some mention of Spock or something. And surprisingly, they didn't, which I'm glad. And the dialogue, like I said, it felt like a mix of J.J. Abrams universe slash Star Trek, you know, the the Star Trek show. The dialogue felt like a bit of both worlds. And I'm sure that's too you know, get the new audiences that may not really be into Star Trek into it. And they did have some Star Trek techno babble. Some of it did feel a little bit forced in parts like they were just doing it just to have the techno babble there. Um, but overall, the the pacing of the of the scenes and just the overall episodes felt very I don't want to say exactly action-y now. These two episodes were very action-like. And I'm hoping that not every single episode is going to be action-packed as intense as this was. But they were very good, very Star Trek-like episodes. Um, You know, I mean, people like to say, like, you know, not every single Star Trek episode had a bunch of action. I mean, did you watch the original series? Literally every single episode was basically paced the same thing. They come across something new. Something new is taken over the Enterprise, or the Enterprise is about to be destroyed, or Captain Kirk or Spock or Bones are about to be killed, and then they got to figure out a way to stop it. And there's action involved. Usually Kirk is fighting. So there is a lot of action in the original series, just not the type of action that we're used to seeing in, in you know, the normal Star Trek or normal movies. Um, but... Overall, I thought it was really good. Like I said, I'm very excited about it. Um, it's cool that Harry Mudd is going to be it. Harry Mudd from the original series. I mean, not the same actor, of course, but going to be played by Rain Wilson, which I'm super excited about that. That is one thing I didn't know ahead of time that he was going to be. And other than that, I I don't really know anything else of what's going to be happening. Um, excited to see next week's episode. Hell, I may even talk about it in next week's you know show, whatever. Um, but if you are any ounce of a Star Trek fan, do yourself a favor and go see and go watch Star Trek Discovery. Um, even if you can't watch it by CBS All Access, which is really fucking dumb, by the way, of CBS to do that. Um, acquire it through other means. I don't give a shit. It's worth it. And and that's another thing I want to talk about. I feel like, I feel like this show is not going to be successful if CBS doesn't get it off of CBS All Access. And... It'd just be really, really, really dumb of them to keep it on there if that's the only way you can watch it. Now, if they air it on TV, you know, for the rest of the season, awesome, great, good, awesome, keep doing that. But if it's only on CBS All Access, the show is doomed. And I would hate to see a Star Trek show failed. The last Star Trek show we got was Enterprise, which does have its merits, but was generally pretty damn bad. Um, Season three is good of Enterprise. Um, season one, two, and four. Nah. I mean, there were good episodes. Don't get me wrong, but overall, not a very strong show. And before that, as much as people love Deep Space Nine, Deep Space Nine was not that well received while it was on air. And it was still a very good show, but you know that's just the fact of the matter. So let's hope that Star Trek Discovery stays strong and I hope it continues strong and I want more episodes. I need more episodes, you know. Um, So, yeah, there, you know, if you haven't seen it yet, go watch it. Do it now. Why are you still listening to me? I don't care if you're driving in a car right now listening to this. I need you to stop, pull aside to the side of the road and watch Star Trek Discovery when any means possible. All right, so that's all I have for this week's episode of Magic with Zuby. Let me hear your thoughts on the episode. Uh, email me at mtgzuby at gmail.com or on Facebook or Twitter, facebook.com slash magic with Zuby or at Twitter at, tw- at magic with Zuby, whatever, twitter.com slash magic with Zuby or at magic with Zuby, however you want to find me. Um, just want to thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed it. 
And if you did, you know, be sure to subscribe, rate, review, like, and subscribe and smash that like button. Give me a thumbs down on YouTube or on iTunes and get, rate and review that subscribe and like, and whatever, whatever you kids are doing nowadays on that social media is, you know, um, yeah, have a great night, everybody. Thank you for listening. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. <laughs>